Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. So today we're headed back into chapter four of the epistle of James. We've been doing this now for, oh, three or four months, been doing James. It's been a very interesting walk through the epistles, especially this epistle of James. We said before that James was, this was one of the first letters to the church, first letters of the church. He's writing this basically to these scattered Christians because of a result of persecution in Jerusalem. And he's, he's very direct, isn't he? I mean, he really is. I told you, I love being direct because it cuts through all of the clutter. You just basically say what it is. But sometimes James will get in your face. And he's gotten in our face about what we have to say, about our pride, about humility. Now, today's topic is going to be pretty direct because the name of the topic is If Tomorrow Never Comes. If Tomorrow Never Comes. And like I said, we've gone, gone through this over the past few months and we've talked about all different kinds of things. We talked about the sin of partiality, of treating people that have money that are able to do something for you a little bit better. And this is written to the church. This is written to the church because we know that in the church often we, we struggle and we have these little battles. Now fortunately here we haven't had any of those at all, but at the same time we know that the church in general, we need to be careful. We need to be careful of our pride. We have to understand that it's humility that God wants us to operate from. So today we're going to be taking a look at James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. And it's some very interesting verses. So why don't you go ahead and follow along with me. It says this. It says, Come now, James says, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. You know, it's said that there are Two kinds of people in the world. <laughs> Don't you love it when somebody says there's two kinds of people, you always wonder which side you're going to end on. There's two kinds of people in the world. There are those who plan and those who rely on people who plan, right? There's people who plan and those who rely on, on people. Seriously, are you a planner? You know, it's interesting. We, we all get to know each other at this stage of our life, and we sometimes don't understand what it was like 20 years ago or 25 years ago, and we're jetting around the country and getting into work at 7 in the morning and getting up early and feeding the chickens or whatever it is. And all of us need to plan some things, right? If you're here today at this service, you had a plan to be here. You had to get up, you had to get dressed, you had to have breakfast early, and you had a plan to be at the 11 o'clock service. You know, planning is a good thing. God is not against planning. You know, there's a saying that says, those who fail to plan, what? Plan to fail. Those who fail to plan, plan to fail. You know, years ago, I had opportunities, like probably some of you, to, uh, to do some hiring. Uh, when I was with Ford Motor Company, I had to hire people for jobs at Ford, and then for the last 20 years, I've been in the church, and some of these churches were pretty big, and we've had to hire people for different positions in the church. And, you know, it's interesting. I found that many people that hired really had no plan, 
had no plan. They kind of just talked to the person like they were trying to make acquaintance with them, trying to meet a new friend. They were like having a breakfast date, just talking about all kinds of things. Well, I, I wanted to drill down and ask some important questions and kind of test them if possible to see whether or not they would be a good employee. You know, for example, uh, we would hire typists. Remember when they hired typists? And the typists would have on their resume that they typed uh, 50 words a minute, right? Or 40 words a minute. Well, what do we do? We put them at a typewriter and we tested them, right? I mean, if you say you type 40 words a minute, let me see you type. When I was, when I was overseeing the systems office at Ford Motor Company, it was office systems, uh, uh, all of the IBM PCs and all of the software that people were using, I, that was part of my, my, my responsibilities. And we would hire people and we'd give them a test. You know, they, we wanted to see if they could debug the system, if they could debug a spooler on a system to make the printer work. We'd give them a test. We'd see if they were able to do it. I went one step further. When I was in the church and hiring people, I wanted to know whether they were planners because I wanted to make sure that they showed up on time, especially if they were working with me. I wanted to make sure that the assignments that we gave them, they wouldn't forget the assignments. So I would say, you know, had the meeting today. How did you schedule the meeting? Did you use a, a calendar? Did you write it down on a paper calendar? Did you put it on your Franklin planner? What did you do? And whatever they said, I would say, well, thank you. Janet, would you show that to me? You know? And they'd look at me and say, what? And i say, well, you said you put it on your planner. Let me, let me just see it. It's, it's, this is a test. This is a test because I, I want a plan. You know, we know that successful people plan, whether it's planning for retirement, a vacation trip or expanding your business. People that do well, that are successful, plan. They plan for these things. They, they spend time planning their future, what they're going to do, and they carefully make sure that they plan so that they achieve their, their goals. Um, the idea is to be prepared. Now, my wife, for those of you that know Carol, um, she, is, she leaves me in the dust. I mean, she is a super planner. She loves to plan. That's what she does. We, we recently came back from a, from, a, uh, from a cruise down to Mexico. And for the six months before, she was online almost every day taking a look at all of our ports of call all of the different excursions, all of the different restaurant choices, all of the things to do because she would plan everything in a minute detail. When we went to Australia, we had a trip of a lifetime uh, about 15 years ago. Trip of a lifetime, we went with a group of people from church and it was wonderful, but Carol, you know, we were like five, five couples, I think, and Carol was the super planner, so no matter where we went, Carol already knew what we were going to do. She knew which way to turn. She knew the events we were going to go to. She knew of the two restaurants that we would have a choice. And, and the people would rely on Carol. Like I said, there's two kinds of people. There's people that plan and people that rely on people that plan. And people started relying on Carol because she would have everything. Even things like Band-Aids. Or, or a pin, whatever they needed, Carol seemed to be able to pull it out of her purse and be able to have it. She had, she had planned for it. They started calling her Aunt Carol, you know, because she always had the things. Now, I told Carol that I figured that she was a planner because she didn't like surprises. And she said, no, you don't understand. If you plan, you eliminate the bad surprises and you wait for the good surprises. Because the good surprises are the unexpected flowers, the unexpected majestic views. When we were cruising up in Alaska a few years ago, it was the, the whales and, and all, the, all the fun things. So the unexpected things are always, are always um, are fun things. They're meeting delightful people. It's a stunning beauty of the blue glaciers as you're going by on the ship. Um, so planning is a good thing. 
God's not against planning. God says in Isaiah chapter 32, verse 8, but he who is noble plans things, plans noble things. Proverbs 21 says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Uh, but we have these verses today, and James indicates that perhaps our planning may be folly, may be foolish. For he says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. You know, I think we can come to a pretty quick conclusion, a pretty quick understanding of what James is really talking about. James is actually scolding, not all of us, but scolding the person that has no, had made no plans for eternity, had made no plans for what the Lord actually wills. They live their life as if they are in charge, that they can make all of the determination, that they're the ones that are able to accomplish whatever they want to accomplish. And God says, you're a fool because it's all about the sovereignty of God. And this squares complete with what Jesus said to us. You know, uh, back in John chapter 15, Jesus told us to remain on the vine. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing apart from me. So you're a fool if you think that you can make all these plans without any consideration of eternity. Jesus told a, a parable. You know, if you've been with me for a while, you know I love the parables. I teach the parables. And one of the parables that I love to teach is the, the parable of the rich man that was going to build bigger barns. Remember that? In Luke chapter 12, I'll, I'll read it to you. In fact, I'm going to put it up here on the slide. It says, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, You've had enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. That verse, eat, drink, and be merry. It's, it's part of scripture, but you got to take the context. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Another translation says, and not be rich towards God. Rich towards God. You know, I, I've taught in this parable before, and now I realize that this ties in so well with what James is talking about. If God wills, to be rich towards God, the idea of planning for eternity. The man in the parable wanted to build bigger barns. Not because he didn't have any barns. He had barns, but he needed bigger ones. Now, this parable, like our verse today, should make us pause because the typical lifestyle of us Americans is this. We have abundance. We have many things. We plan for our retirements. We plan for all kinds of things. Sometimes we want to be able to store up our wealth, our possessions, so that we can enjoy them when we're old. We're always planning for the future. We're making good investments in stock, in insurance, trusts, properties. And the parable was going along just fine, wasn't it? Until we got to verse 20. God said to him, you fool. I mean, 
I thought we were doing exactly what you wanted us to do. We were just using our intelligence. We were just being enterprising. But God said, you fool, the very night your life will be demanded from you. This ties in with our sermon title today, If Tomorrow Never Comes. See, for this man, tomorrow didn't come. He made a plan, but he foolishly forgot that God was still in charge. This is why God called him a fool. God had a plan, but the man obviously didn't care about God's plan. He didn't stop to consider. He was interested only in bigger barns, but God showed him the true condition of his, his heart. Unfortunately, the farmer never lived to see the bigger barns. For him, tomorrow didn't come. He made plans only for this life, but not for what comes after. God was not in his life. He did not consider God at all. So what's this rich relationship with God that the parable talks about? To be rich towards God. Well, we know about retirement plans. We know about vacation plans. But, but what do we need to do first? Well, the hint is in today's scripture. Because in verse 14, James says, What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. A vapor. You know, we, I come from up north. And this time of the year in March, if you're outside in Michigan and you breathe, there's a little mist that comes out of your mouth. A little, little vapor. But it's only there for a moment and it vanishes away. And that's what James is saying. Your life is like that. It's just, a, it's just a vapor. Whether you live to be 7, 70, or 170 years old, it's a short time compared to eternity. So make sure that you're planning not for this life, but also for, for eternity. James is painting this picture. The Bible talks about flowers that wither away. Our life is like a shadow that disappears. James is not, not discouraging us from planning and doing things that are necessary. You see, Jesus, however, came to, came to give us what? Eternal life. Jesus came to give us eternal life. And while there are comparisons in the Bible to a vapor, a mist, a flower that withers, James says, Jesus came that we may have life and have it abundantly, eternal life. James is telling us very clearly that to plan for the future here on earth and not have a plan for eternal life is, is foolish. This is why Jesus called the man that was building the barns a fool. He wasn't rich towards God. He didn't consider eternity. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. That's John chapter 6, verse 51. Now, just a few verses later, Jesus affirms the difference between physical death and eternal life. See, the, the flower withers and the, the mist disappears, but Jesus is the bread of life. It's eternal life. This is what he says, the next verse. He says, this is the bread that came down from heaven. It's not like the manna your fathers ate, for they ate and died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. That's John chapter 6, verse 58. So let's finish up with our scripture verses today from James and see if we can get this picture that he's painting for us. Let me remind you, James writes in verse 15, he says, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. You know, I've read this verse before, and people ask me, does that mean I just have to add on if the Lord wills? Just add on that to everything I say, just if the Lord wills. Well, that's really not what it means, although that's not a bad idea. Did you know Paul often did that? If you read the Acts of the Apostles, um, 
Um, James, uh, Paul often added, if the Lord wills. For example, when he was in Acts chapter 18, he was talking to those in Ephesus, and he was leaving them, and they were encouraging him to stay. And they asked him to spend more time with them. He declined, but as he left, he promised, he said, I will come back if it's God's will. He wrote to the church in Corinth and told them in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. You know, I mentioned my wife, Carol, earlier, and, and she does this so well. Not if the Lord wills, but she makes a plan, and she'll tell you that we're planning to travel to Europe in 2023. 2023 is over a year away. And she'll say this, if the Lord doesn't return first. If the Lord doesn't return first. See, she's, she's got this, she knows in her heart that in any given time, the Lord's return is imminent. In fact, if you ask her if the Lord's coming back, she'll say that the Lord is, Lord's return is so close, it's closer than a gnat's eyebrow. <laughs> I didn't even know that gnats had eyebrows. But see, that's the heart of understanding that God rules. God is sovereign in our life. And we can make all the plans we want, but ultimately God is sovereign. If the Lord wills, if the Lord doesn't come back. James says, but now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Well, what arrogance? What's he talking about? He says, well, if you're, you're traveling to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit. What he's saying is that we think that's because of our skill because of our careful planning, because of how clever we are. And he says, no, you fool. Don't you understand that the Lord, the Lord is sovereign? So let's finish up this question. How do we become rich towards God? How do we understand that if tomorrow doesn't come, we're okay? This gets to our, the heart of our message. The Bible teaches clearly that a man is appointed to die once, and after that to face judgment. This is Hebrews 9, chapter, uh, verse 27. And the verse speaks to the fact that this life does not end at some time, but begins at some time after that. Because this life ends, and after that we go to the judgment seat. Now that may be certain, but how do we prepare that for that inevitability? It's if, if it's inevitable that you're going to appear before the judgment seat, then how do you prepare for that? Well, the Bible says this. It says, don't you understand that everyone will still face judgment? Well, the next verse says this. It says, Hebrews 9, chapter 20, it says, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who eagerly await for him. You see, the scriptures make it clear that Jesus is the Christ. Now, when we say Jesus is the Christ, that's not his last name. Okay, Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. That Jesus is the Messiah, the fulfillment of all of the promises of the Old Testament that was given to the Jews. Jesus was the fulfillment of that. He was the one that came and gave them eternal life. So if, if tomorrow never comes, we're planning on building bigger barns, or we're planning on getting together in 2023, or going to Europe, or going to Disney. How do we make sure that we're rich towards God? What does it mean if the Lord wills? What does it mean if we're rich towards God? To have a confidence that we're His. Well, one of the clues is in the Hebrew where it talks about the book of remembrance or the book of life. The book of life is a phrase found eight times in the New Testament. It's mentioned in reference to the final judgment of God. The Bible says that we stand before God and the books are open. This is the book of Revelation. And we are judged based on what is written in the book. And it says, then another book is opened, and that book is the book of life. And everyone whose name is not recorded in the book of life is thrown into the lake of fire. 
So welcome to Celebrate Seniors, where all we talk about is good things, right? <laughs> no, this is, this is hellfire and damnation, and we don't normally talk about it, but it's in the Bible. So if it's in the Bible, we need to address it. The Book of Life was known as the Book of Remembrance to the Hebrews in the Old Testament. In Malachi chapter 3, the prophet writes, a book of, a book of remembrance was written before him and those who fear the Lord and those who esteem his name. And then in Daniel chapter 12 it says, Now at that time Michael the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time your people, everyone who was found written in the book, written in the book, will be rescued. In the book of Revelation it becomes clear exactly who it is in the book of life who it is that fear the Lord and who will be rescued, those who are rich towards God. Revelation chapter 21 says this, but nothing unclean will ever enter, and enter into it, the new Jerusalem or the new earth, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's Revelation chapter 21, verse 27. It's the Lamb's book of life. Jesus is the Lamb of God. John the Baptist said it first. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Just as, a, as the Jews sacrificed the lamb and took the blood and sprinkled it on the doorpost, Jesus is the Lamb of God. It points back to what happened on, at, at the first Passover. That first Passover pointed forward to what Jesus had to say. This is Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then John sees a lamb who appeared to have been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. You know, my friends, John, uh, James chapter 4, verse 17, the very last verse today ends with these words. It says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And the wages of sin is, is death. So if we know that eternal life is coming and we know that there's a judge and we make no plans at all for our future, to us it is sin. God holds us accountable to do the right things. You may know the commandments and Jesus said that if you're angry with your brother, you already have committed murder. Bible, Jesus said that if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. However, Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of, of all of our sins. So what does it take to be rich toward God? What does it take to be saved from the wrath to come? The judgment of God and to be included in the Lamb's book of life. The Bible makes it clear. Romans 10.9 says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know, it's interesting. We started off this morning, Thelma, talking about uh, the Catholic version of this or the Anglican version of this. And I, I can tell you, my friends, it doesn't make any difference what church you go to. It only matters whose you are. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've given him your life, if you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you're his. Your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. This is a, this is, there's a confession of faith that Jesus is Lord. That's what Romans 10 9 said. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. We all know John 3.16, right? So for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him 
will not perish, but have everlasting life. Their name will be in the Lamb's Book of Life. This is not about religion. I didn't mention religion. I'm not for religion. I'm for a relationship with Jesus Christ. If religion was adequate, there was no reason for Jesus to come because the Jews had a great religion. There's no reason for him to come, but it's about a relationship. John writes this and says in the first chapter of the gospel of his name, he says, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all, listen to this, all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is what it means, by the way, when we say that we're born again. Maybe your church didn't talk about being born again, but that's what the Bible says. It says that we're born again when we make Jesus the Lord of our life. You know, for some, tomorrow will not come. We pray that they've prepared. They've made a plan for their eternal life. This life is but a vapor but eternal life is forever. If it's inevitable that we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we need to be prepared. Let's pray that we understand the Lamb's book of life and that we're included in it as well. Pray with me. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for who you are. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.